X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Wednesday, June 9th. Today, back in the day on June 9th, 1902, notorious outlaw Harry Tracy escaped from an Oregon prison. Known as the Lone Bandit, the Oregon Badman, or the King of Western Robbers, Tracy became a true crime legend. An old-school cowboy, he bounced between Colorado, Montana, and Wisconsin wrestling cattle. It's even said that Harry Tracy hooked up with Butch Cassidy and his gang, the Wild Bunch. A deadly, but not particularly skilled robber, Tracy's exploits often ended in gunshots and blood. He had broken out of prisons in both Utah and Colorado before making his way to Portland in 1898. It was there he linked up with David Merrill, his partner in theft and mayhem. After a robbery gone wrong, Tracy and Merrill were sent to the Oregon Penitentiary to serve a 20-year sentence. A few well-placed bribes were all it took to plan their jailbreak. On the morning of June 9th, an accomplice stashed two rifles in the prison foundry. The pair of outlaws blasted their way out, killing five guards in the process. The next two months were a chaotic manhunt across the Northwest, complete with large bounties and bloodhounds. Tracy and Merrill were on their way to a town called Hole in the Wall, Idaho, hoping to rejoin Butch Cassidy, but by that time, the gang was long gone. Information about Tracy's final days is murky, but in the end, he turned on his partner, shooting Merrill dead. Police cornered Tracy, and he too was killed in the ensuing gunfight. Tracy was the last of a dying breed, the tough-as-nails, ruthless Western outlaw. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Portland Monthly's Eden Dawn. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. Portland Police Bureau budget cuts may not lead to fewer officers on the streets. The new budget, set to be adopted by the City Council next week and take effect on July 1st, is $3 million less than the current one. It does, however, include $5.264 million to hire 30 more officers. Those 30 officers will be necessary to replace the over 25 officers that have left the PPB since January. 23 have also applied for jobs with other agencies. The thing is, it takes 18 months to train officers before they can begin working. Currently, the PPB only has 814 filled positions out of a possible 916. 630 of those are authorized officer rank positions. Only 560 are filled. In order to maintain patrol levels amidst the rise in shootings around town, the Portland Police Bureau has made numerous changes most notably reorganizing its staffing structure and rearranging assignments. They have pulled several officers from specific duties and shifted them to patrols. These include 20 traffic officers, 9 K-9 officers, 7 narcotics officers, and 1 behavioral health officer. There will also be a number of probationary officers that will be eligible to take calls in the first half of the fiscal year. In the meantime, the council has authorized the PPB to create a uniformed focus intervention team of 12 officers and two sergeants to focus on shootings. They'll essentially serve as a replacement for the gun violence reduction team, 
which the council abolished in 2020 because it had repeatedly been accused of racial profiling. And now your daily dose of data. 67.1% of the eligible population in Oregon has received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. Washington, Hood River, and Benton counties are all over 70%. Multnomah is right there at 69.5%. Remember, once we get to 70% statewide, the governor will lift all restrictions. 7,200 doses of the vaccine have been wasted since June 1st, the most ever in a week. Vials have 6, 10, or 14 doses, depending on the vaccine. Once a vial is open, all the doses it contains have to be used before they expire. One out of every 20 doses was wasted last week. Oregon's Occupational Safety and Health Division has said it will lift workplace COVID restrictions when the state gets the vaccine rate to 70%. That puts the state's Workplace Safety Agency in line with Governor Kate Brown's timetable. This means that most workers in public or private workplaces like offices, factories, and stores would not have to wear masks or maintain physical distance. Exceptions would remain in place for healthcare facilities, airports, and public transit. Employers would retain the right to make their own mask or distancing rules. No word yet on what the policy will be in schools. If the current vaccination rate continues, we could hit 70% statewide by the end of this month. Democratic Representative Brad Witt has officially been removed as chair of the House Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee. House Speaker Tina Kotek announced Monday that she was making this unilateral decision. This comes after the Bipartisan Conduct Committee couldn't agree on his punishment for violating sexual harassment rules. Republicans wanted him off all committees until the end of his term in 2022. Democrats wanted to keep him from chairing any committees. The two sides did agree that he would need to undergo coaching and training for his behavior. State Representative Vicki Brees Iverson filed a complaint against Witt for an inappropriate text exchange. Kotek is removing Witt from the House Water Committee and the House Business and Labor Committee, too. Kotek also said Witt would not serve alongside Brees Iverson or on any committees for the remainder of his current term. Washington is rolling up, I mean out, a new program called Joints for Jabs in an effort to incentivize COVID vaccinations. The State Liquor and Cannabis Board approved licensed marijuana stores to offer a single pre-rolled joint to anyone over 21. All they have to do is get a shot at in an on-site vaccine clinic held by July 12th. Breweries, wineries, and restaurants were already allowed to offer free drinks if you could prove you'd been vaccinated. The stores have to buy any joints they plan to give away from licensed producers or processors. They must also keep records of any product given away. It's all part of the plan to get as many people vaccinated as soon as possible. Governor Jay Inslee has said he'll lift all COVID restrictions when the state hits 70% or at the end of June, whichever comes first. Some other incentives Washington is offering include free sports tickets and, like Oregon, a million-dollar lottery. And some good news. Oregon is changing the lyrics to the state's song in order to make it more inclusive and less racist. 
The Oregon legislature approved the modifications to the lyrics of Oregon My Oregon earlier this week. A lot has changed since the song was first written over 100 years ago, and the new lyrics reflect that. Gone are the lines in the first verse, conquered and held by free men, fairest and the best. The new lyrics emphasize the state's natural beauty. There's a couple of other changes throughout. The line, blessed by the blood of martyrs, will now be blessed by the love of freedom. The song lyrics were originally written in 1919 by judge and former state representative J.A. Buchanan of Astoria. The music was by Henry Bernard Murtaugh. The Society of Oregon Composers held a contest for poets to submit their work for a song that, quote, would be used at all public, patriotic, and social gatherings. The new lyrics were written by Amy Shapiro of Beaverton, who was first apprehensive about singing it with her students 30 years ago. She'd been trying to get the changes made for years, and in her testimony at the Capitol said, quote, outdated, misleading, and offensive words glorifying oppression and murder are replaced with inspiring words glorifying Oregon's natural beauty, majestic mountains, forests, and rivers, as well as our love of freedom. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Next up, we have Eden Dawn, style editor of Portland Monthly, on Portland's influence on swimwear. I'm Christine Alexander. Joining me now is the former style editor for the Portland Monthly, 11 years, writing about local fashion, brands, retail, and small businesses. She is also the author of Portland Book of Dates and the owner of Claws Out Nail Polish, where every color donates to a different nonprofit. My guest again, Eden Dawn. Good morning, Eden. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. You look great, as always. New oh, my goodness. And I'm doing what I call the Courtney Love, where I'm wearing my eyeliner from last night. I'm just <laughs> pretending it's good to go. <laughs> you always look great, <laughs> even with Courtney Love eyes. Um, so, okay. So, I told our listeners, um, and I actually had read this this article that you wrote um, back, I, I'm not sure when it was, but I did read it, about Jansen Swimwear. And I've been teasing our listeners saying that, that um, Portland invented swimming. And so, so I, I think that I'm going to leave it to you to explain what I meant by that because in step three of your, um, your, um, prom, uh, your um, uh, breakdown that you gave me, you said the suit that changed bathing to swimming. So fill us in. Tell me the story of how Portland invented swimming. Yeah, it's so cool. And I should back up and say, for the record, I love Courtney Love so much. Okay. So that was a compliment. <laughs> um, I, need, I need everybody to know that was a compliment. Okay. <laughs> so the thing about s- swimming, and I wanted to talk about this today because obviously we're getting into swimming season. River Day time is here. Prior to Jansen, so in the early 1900s, the aughts, the 1910s, water activities were still mainly seen as bathing. Like this was the time you went down to the ocean and you did bathing and there wasn't comfortable gear to do that in. So picture this, like you go, you know, you go over to Lincoln City, you go to have some fun beach day. What you would wear would be a flannel dress that you would get into the water and then you would come out and it would just be hanging on you like 
I said like a lead cloak that you wear when you go to the dentist and they throw those on you and you feel like you can't breathe. That would be it. So it's not conducive to swimming. You would get in, you would kind of clean your body and that would be it. And you would hang out like you would frolic on the beach, but, but there wasn't that level of that. Um, And then you had this company called the Portland knitting company um, run by Carl Jansen and and these two brothers, the Zentbauers. And in 1918, they decided to change it to um, Jansen Knitting Mills. And so one of the big things they did was they made this suit that was, instead of a giant flannel dress, it was like a little leotard made from virgin wool. And then it had matching knee socks, you know, when you want to wear your knee socks <laughs> to go swimming and a wool cap. And though wool wool seems like such a strange choice, I mean, we didn't have the synthetic fabrics and it wasn't like Lycra was available in 1918. And also wool actually does a really good job of repelling water, right? Because sheep couldn't walk around just like absorbing all of that. The poor little guys would keel over. Right. (laughs) So they changed it to wool. They made it so it was actually, you know, short. Um, It wasn't a dress. And that... And then the whole campaign they launched around it was the suit that changed bathing to swimming. And it's true because it allowed people the mobility to actually get in the water. And it was quick drying relatively to everything else. And they they were marketing geniuses because it went everywhere. The diving girl became the signature thing for Jansen, which if you're driving around in Northeast Portland, you can still see like on the some buildings on like Gleason and like 17th around there, they still have the little diving girl in the like facade of the building. So you can see and you know which ones used to be for the pattern makers and for manufacturing. It's really cute. Oh, cool. Where is that that again? That's like around um, like Northeast Gleason and like 15th, like around there was where a lot of their buildings were. They they had them in different spots because Jansen was one of the biggest employers of designers here for years and years and years and years. Wow. So if you talk to, to some of the old timer designers that I have, you know, in my career over the years, so many of them worked at Jansen. It was just a place that you could be employed. And you know, Jansen went on this marketing blitz and it really ran across the country. They had, you know, they would do these pinup girl ads. They'd take out full page and Esquire. They did um, movie previews with like people in their swimsuits. They they had all of these great campaigns that had um, up and coming movie stars like Ginger Rogers. And it really took off across the country. And then in like the 50s, when we started getting more highways and access to go to beaches and lakes it was just this great convergence in time where they had invented this swimsuit which you know quickly over time became uh some of the like more pinupy things we know it for and then lycra bikinis like it's gone on over the years and evolved uh but but as the world began to open up and allowing people to get to more water activities and this new invention of the swimsuit it really is like portland is responsible in in so many ways for the swimming days and like the beach days as we know it now it's and you wouldn't think it right like you don't think of portland as being the epicenter of of like your swimwear beach day but we are we have a lot of street cred love it i love that story another great story from the history of portland and how it affects our our 
culture overall. Uh, that is so great. Thanks for that, Eden. My guest is Eden Dawn, of course, former uh, style editor for the Portland Monthly, owner of Claws Out Nail Polish and all-around uh, style maker. Uh, so we also do a regular segment with you, Eden, called Tips from a Journalist. And mm-hmm. um, so what, what do you want to talk about? What, what are your, uh, as we said, you were the style editor for the Portland Monthly for 11 years. You've dealt with lots of people out there who are trying to promote their business, their brand, themselves. And so you came up with this idea, tips from a journalist, someone who works in the business and writes these stories. Um, you came up with some ideas of how people can get their story out there. So what do you want to talk about this week? What's mm-hmm. your tip this week? It's such a simple thing, but it's so necessary. And that's a thing called time pegs. So this is a mistake I see not only kind of newbie brands, bands, designers, et cetera, make, but definitely ones that have been around the block for a while. Because I, you know, would get pitches for a year. I got one this week. Um, Pitches all the time from people who say, I have this great career or I have this great business, we've been around for seven years, we're doing this, we're doing that, Um, you should write a story about me. But we need a reason why now. Like journalists always need a reason why now. Why now? You know what I mean? Like you've been you've been killing it. That's great. Um, you have a band and you guys have two albums out and you've been doing really well. That's super nice. But readers and, and publications, we need a reason for it to be right now. And that's called the time peg. So that is your job to figure out what is the thing. And now sometimes that's pretty easy. You know, is your business having a 10 year anniversary? That's a reason why now or a five year anniversary, right? It's often why um, so many things in publications are new. We write about new things because that's the time peg. It's like, well, this thing is brand new. We want to write about it now. We don't want to write about it in six months when it's been around, you know, that gives you a reason. And journalists, we are very deadline driven people and we need a reason to do something at this moment, especially when our plates are, you know, just like piled like a mound of spaghetti. There's so much on it. Give us a reason for it to come to the top. So I encourage people, one, you need a time peg when you pitch something or otherwise what happens is we go, oh, that's pretty cool. That's that's a cool story. And then it gets shoveled into the good story idea. And then we wait on there, wait on it for there to be a good time. The problem is sometimes there's never a good time. So that's why things like smart brands do collaborations because that's a reason to be like, we have this thing coming out. New collections, new albums. It doesn't always have to be new though. Events are a great thing. And I wanted to bring this up because as the world is opening back up, you know, and our vaccination rates are doing so well and, and everybody's kind of coming out like mole people from under the darkness (laughs) businesses are you know a lot of people are looking to get some press to kind of kickstart things and also um you know there's going to be a lot of people starting new stuff that always happens when there's a big shift in the world people get ideas and they start new businesses so i want you to consider the idea to create a time peg if there isn't one If your business is just doing well, but you really want more eyes on it, what can you do? Events are wonderful. Are you going to have a a welcome back to the world party? And, you know, are you going to have, are you going to team up with all the businesses on your block and you guys are going to do a street block party 
one day this, you know, in July. Those are the things that get journalists' attention because it gives us a reason where we're like, well, we can't write about a street block party in August if it happens in July. We got to act on this now, you know? So the, the way that you really get in front of people and not only in front of people, but you get moved to the front of the line is you have something that has some urgency to it. So Eden, in terms of time frames and, and you, and you call it a time peg, how far in advance should someone contact you like, or a journalist, for example, if I've got an event planned in August, how far out do I, do I need to give the journalists a chance to, to write the story and, should it be a month in advance? Should it be I let you know about my event two weeks before it? What what kind of time frame should I look at in, in terms of the time peg? That's a great question. And it's actually one that varies a lot by the publication's um, cycle. So, you know, there's like Portland Monthly, for example, the print cycle is now on a quarterly basis. They're printing magazines every quarter. And then you have, you know, uh, like the Merck is printing, it's like they're still a weekly, but with digital every day. So these things um, factor into it, but I always say not too early, like not too early because readers have short attention spans. I think not unreasonable at all if you had something in August to send it now, but to know that you're probably just planting a seed. Uh. You're likely going to hear back right now. You're just planting a seed and people kind of go, oh, okay, we read it. We maybe don't even respond because you get 200 emails a day, but you're like, oh, okay, cool. Christine's throwing this thing in August. We'll, we'll keep that. And then the next month you circle back and say, hey, now we're a month out. I wanted to touch base again, you know? So I would keep coming oh. back. And then, you know, if you develop a relationship with a journalist, if they're covering a specific beat, they'll often tell you. I would tell people if it's less than two weeks, like I'm probably not going to be able to have time to get to it with my regular duties and that. But if I wrote about something more than a month out, I'll tell you what would happen is we would publish it, we would get it out. And then readers after the event would happen would write me in and go, how come you didn't write about this? But I did. It was just that it was a month ago, which is too long. Too and long. I totally understand because our brains are SIDS. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we can only hold so much. Well, so, so yeah, I would say keep just send it, send it early and then just keep popping in like every month. But definitely at least two weeks out minimum. And that's for a digital coverage only. That's not going to be in print. So Eden, then then. The one other question I would have in relation to this, and I know we might have talked about it before, but someone who's never been in the business that you and I are in, in terms of communication or media, how do they find out who to send these things to? How do they find out where to send that press release or that, um, you know, event happening? Right. Well, I always encourage people to go to the digital masthead. So we talked last time about how important it is to make sure that the person you're pitching is the person that you actually want their readers. So you do that by looking at their media kit. Everybody go look at the media, media kit. kit. But assume that you know, like, okay, this is it. Like, let's say Willamette Week, that's my reader. That's my demographic. I want to talk to them. Willamette Week will have a digital masthead on their site. Everybody does, which lists whose jobs what, what jobs people do. And you'll see something, if you're a band, they're going to probably have a music editor or an arts editor, send it to them. You know what I mean? Like if somebody is a food critic, send it to them. And if they don't have that exactly laid out, then your job is to put some research in because a good pitch usually has research behind it. 
and go through and read a few issues and see like, oh, it looks like, you know, Jane Smith has been writing all the food coverage lately. I'm going to send her my pitch. And then you can put on your own little reporter hat. Usually you can Google the people. They have it in their Twitter bios. I feel like in general, journalists now are very accessible in the world if you just poke around a tiny bit. So, Eden, then um, before we let you go, I know we didn't talk about this, but is there anything on your mind right now that's coming up in the near future that that Portlanders might need to be aware of or uh, events happening or books coming out or what are you doing? Anything you want to share with our listeners that's coming up or that that um, any events we haven't talked about? I mean, the biggest thing in my heart right now is, you know, I am a series host at the Hollywood Theater with a series called Fashion and Film, which I've done for five or six years. Can't keep track of time anymore. I feel like none of us can. Um, and, and the Hollywood is going to be reopening in July. Yay! And so it will all be coming back and series will be coming back. And they're having the, the Hollywood turns 95 um, next month. And, you know, they're. I love film and I love going to that theater, but it's particularly wonderful because they are a nonprofit with the whole goal of just getting people to enjoy cinema, which is why they let me with my fashion and film series do things like screen Troop Beverly Hills and Reality Bites, which I believe are the Citizen Canes of my generation. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't care if anyone disagrees. Um, So I love it so much. And that to me will be such a day of, of normalcy and, and triumph that we get to be back in a theater together, doing silly things, showing, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer on a big screen. I will cry. I will cry in front of <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing you cry. <laughs> Not in a bad way, in a good way, in a good way. Like the Courtney Love Eyes. Uh, you know, that's a, it's a good, com- it's a compliment. Um, oh, I'm going to invite Courtney to one of the screenings. We're oh, going to get her there. That would be great. Well, Eden Dawn, it's been a pleasure having you on the air, and I hope to see you again in the future. Oh, thanks, Christine. It's been so fun. Thanks for having me. It has been fun. Have a great day. Eden Dawn, former style editor for the Portland Monthly uh, for 11 years, also um, author of the Portland Book of Dates, and she's the owner of Claws Out Nail Polish, where every color donates to a different nonprofit. Thanks to Eden for joining the local And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.